Dotnet Rocks episode 601 with guest Pete LePage. Recorded live Wednesday, September 15th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, by Haystack, and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now here's Carl and Richard. Hey, Vancouver! Welcome to .NET Rocks! Hey! Awesome. Yes, sir. Wow, you never knew 10 people would sound that big. <laughs> <laughs> We're at uh, Tech Days in Vancouver. Welcome to my town, my friend. I like your town. I like my town, too. Can we hear you okay? I, I don't know. Am I a little low? Maybe You're a little, little low. low. I'm here. He's got a big voice, so he yeah, carries well. He, he pulls me back because I'm too noisy. Home of Tojo's, the best uh, sushi in the world. You have a sushi fixation now. I took you to Tojo's once. Oh, it was a year ago. Yeah. And uh, told you it was the best sushi in the world. You believed me because it is. And now you guys like to Tojo's? Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the guy who invented the California roll. Which isn't sushi. Which it's is, funny. yeah, that has no raw fish in it. <laughs> right. Okay, well, anyway. <laughs> We're here with Pete LePage, and it's a very special day, Pete. Yes, it certainly is. Today is the day we released the Internet Explorer 9 beta. Congratulations, sir. I'm sure you did it all by yourself. I, yeah. You know, I, I wish I could take all the credit, <laughs> so I will. No, I'm just <laughs> And took the time to come up north with Absolutely. Well. You know, I just worked on it all night last night, drove up this morning. No. No problem. So, you know, I was talking to my girlfriend, and she said, I don't know what the big deal about a browser is. I still haven't upgraded to 8, and it works just fine, and I see no reason to upgrade. Do you think that there's just a very large consortium of people out there who are just fine with whatever browser they have? Why the new browser? Like, what can we do that we couldn't do before? You know, there's a there's a whole bunch of reasons. There's great reasons to get to IE8. For one, getting some of the new security and, and privacy features that Internet Explorer 8 offers. Yeah. But in general, why do we want to get to a better browser? I think it's newer browsers offer a lot more features for developers to create much better experiences, right? The web, when we look at the web of yesteryear and of couple of years ago, it was all about just sort of consuming content. You looked at something and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, isn't that pretty? I, great, I got the information there. Mm. But the web has evolved over time and it's gotten much more interactive and much more uh, a place where we can see and do really cool things. And by going to a newer browser, you get those experiences that you could never get before. So, okay, what are some of those experiences that the IE9 enables that we wouldn't be able to do in any other browser? Well, one of the things with Internet Explorer 9 is we have redesigned the look and feel of the browser to really get out of your way and allow you to do the things that you want on the web. Mm. We talked with a lot of our customers and how they use the web and what they're doing, and one of the things that we found was that people are spending you know, huge amounts of time. In Canada here, they spend about 42 hours a month online. Hmm. Now, for listeners and, and you know, people yeah. like us, there's probably a few more than I 42. I do that in a day. Yeah, yeah. I, was gonna say, sorry, I was about to say that, too, actually. Only 42 uh, hours? That's what I thought. But when I sort of put that into context of like yeah. folks like my mom or something like that, 42 right, right. hours is, is actually a fair chunk of time. Mm -hmm. So for them to have a browser that gives them more access to the content they want, takes up less space, it gives them 
easier access to go search things. That's certainly one thing. Yeah. But in terms of the experiences, by providing a browser that does things faster, applications on the web start to feel more native, right? You've got that opportunity to really build out rich graphical experiences that, you know, you might experience today on, on your desktop, but you can start to feel those on the browser because... So Flash runs this. faster in IE9, is that what you're saying? Uh, that, that's a it might, but okay. what what definitely runs faster is is the JavaScript and the graphics. Yeah. You're no longer waiting for that stuff to to right. run. So rendering rendering graphical images perhaps Absolutely. faster. Yeah. Well, so one of the big things that we did in Internet Explorer nine was direct two D and direct two D write hardware acceleration. Mm. So now. Any of the things that you're doing, whether it's HTML or CSS or any kind of graphics, canvas, um, video, yeah. all of that stuff is run through the GPU wow. on your computer. Makes for a much faster experience. Things look a lot better. Nice. Now, um, there are other browsers, other browsers that have been doing that now. So, yeah, right? a couple of the other browsers have announced support for hardware acceleration. Right. But there's a couple of key differences. Or there's one real key difference. We're doing full hardware acceleration. Basically, you get end-to-end -end acceleration from you know base from where you start downloading all the way till stuff appears on screen. Right. With the other browsers right now, it's not full end-to-end. -end. You only get a small part of the the experience that's. Accelerated. So what, is, what does that what mean exactly? Yeah, what do the developers have to do to take advantage of hardware acceleration? Well, for developers, there's nothing they have to do to take advantage of hardware acceleration. The same markup that you're writing today just works. Because basically what we're doing is instead of sending things through um, one way, we're going direct to the graphics card through the direct 2D um, APIs. So the, if you have Canvas on your page or a video on your page... It goes straight through that way. We're going to get to a place where you're going to have a web page that comes up and says, not only need IE9, you need a, a, an NVIDIA GX450 Plus. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. I think we're going to get to a point where developers are just sort of building great experiences and they're not even having to think about it that because of hardware acceleration in IE9 and because of the, the little bit of hardware acceleration in other browsers, you're going to just have a great experience. If you have... Uh Hmm. Yeah, okay. I, I want to go back to something you said about full acceleration in IE9 versus sort of a partial um, acceleration in other browsers. What exactly do you mean by that? So one of the things that with Internet Explorer 9, we build Internet Explorer 9 for Windows customers. Mm -hmm. And because we build it for Windows customers, we really have one operating system we build right. for, right? Windows. With other browsers, because they're trying to support multiple OSs, oftentimes they have to have an abstraction layer or something I like see. that in there. And that abstraction layer is going to mean that you've got to make some trade-offs here and there. Mm. Um, if you go have a look on the IE blog at blogs.msdn.com forward slash IE, we've got a really great blog post that goes into really good technical depth about full hardware acceleration versus partial hardware acceleration. Okay, good. Yeah, and I noticed that, uh, first of all, um, congratulations, because the press has been goo-goo over it so far. It's been uh, pretty great today so Wired far. had a really positive uh, article, ZDNet had a positive review in Gadget. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. that's great. Yeah. It, Congrats. It, thank you. Yeah, it's really exciting to see, because we've been working on this for a long time, and 
And uh, also saw some speed numbers versus uh, uh, Chrome, I guess, which is considered one of the fastest browsers. Yep. Some comparisons in frames per second and things like that. And and uh, IE9 is out in front. IE9 is absolutely out in front. We've because of the hardware acceleration, the new JavaScript engine. Our speed is fantastic. The new JavaScript engine. Yes. New brand new JavaScript engine in Internet Explorer nine. Okay. So tell right. me, it's not case sensitive. Hmm. I don't like you as much as I thought I did. Okay. <laughs> Fine. I'm sorry. So it's still case sensitive. It's not that new. It's not that new. True. Uh, well, so one of the cool things, uh, the brand new JavaScript engine, it does things a little differently than some of the other JavaScript engines in that as it starts to pull down code, it works like IE8 did and it starts interpreting it right away. Yeah. But with IE9 using the full power of your PC, if you've got multiple cores or if there's some, some, downtime in, in the CPU, we'll compile that code in the background and then immediately switch over to compiled code. Now, you know, I think we're all pretty... So old. while you're still rendering the page, you're downloading... There's other JavaScript files yep. obviously downloading. And I know, I think in IE8, you uncoupled the downloader from the parser. Correct. Which, thanks for that. Because it used to be, you know, literally it was in yeah, synchronous download. Right. Yep, so absolutely. you get ahead of the renderer, you get ahead of the parser with the downloads. So you start right. getting these files, and now you're feeding them to some kind of compiler as well. Yep, absolutely. And so there's got to be a flop point where it's like, okay, we've compiled everything. Stop with that interpretive stuff. Jump here. Exactly. That's yep. crazy. Wow. That, like that's, are you talking like mid-process, or do you wait till something finishes executing? Like, when you know, do you jump? I'm not exactly sure exactly when it happens. But it's, there's a lot of really neat, complex sort of calculations that get figured out to go, okay, now we've got everything. We're at a point where this is all good to go. We're not going to pull down any more code for this. Let's switch to this. Hmm. And because it's compiled code, it's just it's screaming fast. Any wow. sense what the speed difference is? Well, uh, so there's a couple of things you can look at. One of them is uh, the SunSpider benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And we went from IE8, and I'm pulling numbers out of my head here, so if I'm off by a few, please excuse me, but it was about 34,000. In IE9, in the uh, beta time frame, we're at like 400 and change. Chrome is at about 20 milliseconds faster than us. Okay. Right? But you went, you basically had an order of magnitude improvement between IE8 and 99. Yeah, absolutely. And are in line with the other browsers. Yeah. 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 You're now in a range where you're slicing pennies, right? Uh, and even barely slicing pennies. Yeah. Like, yeah. 20, 30 milliseconds between them, I could probably live with that. Exactly. So, you know, I think this is good news for JavaScript developers who, it, uh, who you know, long to be taken seriously. It really is. And... It's also great news for, for consumers and for just general people using the sure. web because sure. we spend a lot of time looking at websites that do have JavaScript on them and doing all that kind of stuff. Right. And because that stuff's running that much faster. Boy, if we just had a great JavaScript editor. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We do have a great JavaScript editor, don't we? Visual Studio 2010. Do you like the JavaScript editor? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good. good. Hey, well, any... and to be, you know, on that same line, there's the set of great JavaScript debugging tools in IE9. Yeah. And the, some of them were there in IE8. But Tell us about them. Well, so IE8, we introduced developer tools built into the box, F12. You can just hit F12, bring up the developer tools. Well, in IE9, we've taken it a step further. We've added some additional profiling stuff to the uh, JavaScript. We've also added a network monitor. So 
in IE8 or in other browsers, if you want to see what's going on in the network traffic, you have to use Fiddler or you have to install mm. some other funky tool to see what's going on. Right. In IE9, it's built into the browser. Now, one of the cool things about it, Fiddler, because it's a proxy, well, you know, sometimes you might get a little sort of wonky something. Yeah, it's outside. Exactly. Yeah. IE9, because it's built into the browser, it's sitting there right on the Sure. iNet stack and going, oh, yep, this is what's going on. And you can see exactly what's wow. going on. That's great. Have yeah. you built waterfalls in as well? We have built waterfalls in as well. So you can see visually how all that stuff is going. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, waterfalls are the sort of visual representation of what files are getting downloaded at what time, how long things are taking, so that you can see that, hey, I just started downloading index.htm. Mm. Well, then it tried to pull down the following files, mm. and it'll show you how long those... Um, Took yeah, to download, yeah. and then it'll also show you, you know, oh, these ones cause this to get downloaded, so they get start to get pulled nice. down. Yeah. yeah. So it's also how you catch things, like in the old days where we grabbed a chunk of JavaScript and that blocked the the other connections from downloading things, like watching blocking behavior, or you know, Google uh, Analytics was stuck in the header and it hung the whole page for five seconds before yep. anything else loaded. Like all that stuff shows up. In the waterfall. Exactly. So you could start thinking about how I want to make my page right. render nicer. Yep. It's great for performance, which is actually sort of a, a great segue, if, mm -hmm. if I can, for a sec. There's some great new performance stuff that's built in for developers. So if you want to measure your performance, today it's kind of hard. You kind of have to go in and you put in a bunch of like JavaScript and you say, hey, variable start time. And you run your code and you say variable stop time. Right, like it's it's kind of messy to do any instrumentation. Well, in IE9, that stuff's all built in as MS performance, and so it's a whole new set of APIs that you can use to call and check when certain functions start, when your page load starts, and you can get all that data back. And because again, it's in the browser as opposed to you having to go instrument things. Mm. It's a much more accurate way of being able to measure anything. Sometimes if I'm writing Silverlight applications that use RIA services, for example, or any kind of WCF thing, um, you'll get some strange errors that you can only figure out now with Fiddler or something like yep. it. Um, am I going to be able to have some more uh, clarity and vision into what's going on in WCF? You know, Silverlight. I, you know, I'm not actually sure about that one. I haven't tried that one out yet, but I would imagine through some of the some of those tools, you will be able to because you can see all of the network. You can stack see going the network on. traffic, whether exactly. it's a WCF service or whether it's JavaScript yep. or whatever. No matter what the call is going out as, right. you can see that. In theory, it's all going through the iNet stack. Exactly. Right. But it might only yeah. get weird if you went out of browser. But right. In browser, so, we should be able yeah. to see it. Yeah. Should be an operative word. You know, it's funny. I one issue I've run into do because we've been doing work in performance around. Uh, looking at IE9 is that in other browsers, and I think it's part of the IETF standard, there is a set of classes for doing measurement of time as part of the document objects. But Microsoft's implemented their own set, totally separate from the stuff that's in, that's you know generally the common set. Well, so uh, sort of the stuff that we've gone and done is actually not just. Microsoft specific. Mm -hmm. We're working within the W3C to get that set of performance uh, APIs standardized. Right. And in fact, there's a working group within the HTML5, or sorry, there's a task force within the HTML working group. I often get the, <laughs> those guys get a little bit confusing sometimes when I try and get them out of my you don't head. Say. Yeah. But there's a task force. In the working group. 
within the HTML working group who is tasked with uh, creating some performance metrics and all that. It's okay. chaired by a guy from Microsoft, Jason Weber, mm-hmm. but it's also chaired by a guy from Google. And Google has gone and implemented these same MS performance um, metrics and right. APIs in Chromium. Now, they, instead of saying MS performance, they're using WebKit performance. Right. Because we're doing this in a very standards-based way, Okay. right? We're adding the sort of uh, browser vendor uh, prefixes. So that way, until the spec is locked and we've got a good spec that we all agree on, that way you're not having to sort of go, oh, well, Microsoft does this and, and Chrome does this. and the You're using the namespaces to distinguish the different implementations. Exactly. Until you have a standards mm-hmm. Until ratified. the spec is rec- ratified. Which will be what? 2022? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I, I don't think it's going to be that long. Um, if you actually read into Ian Hickson's comments on that, he was saying when we get to the final spec, right. realistically, I think we're all going to hit a point where the spec is, is stable enough in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. I don't like, and that's just a guess from me. But right? by that same token, it's in all our advantages for you to continue to push the envelope. I mean, it's abundantly clear oh. to me that Microsoft is responsible for Chrome implementing hardware acceleration. Absolutely. You guys did it first. You kicked butt on it. You yep. still kick a butt on it, by the way. And now the other browsers have to follow along. And in the end, as consumers, we benefit from sure. that. That's pure goodness. Absolutely. What horrifies me is you guys have come to a sort of stable standard in two years and then stop. That, and I'm only saying that because it happened a few years ago. So as I've said before, I apologize for IE6. Um, <laughs> How many times do we have there? to apologize um, for IE6? Can, can, you, can, you say, can you just say what I say? Can you say friends don't let friends IE, run IE6? I don't even think friends let enemies run IE6. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, th- I think we've really come to a point where within Microsoft, within the web, we've all realized that there is so much great stuff happening on the web and there's so many great things that are being made available to us and there's, we spend so much time on the web that you're going to see constant innovation happening and great things happening from everybody and we're all going to keep pushing, pushing each other. So Silverlight is supported in 99, right? Yep. Wow, that goes against the whole tweet storm I just read. <laughs> <laughs> Where did I read that? Yeah, I, I don't know. We're, we're, well, it, was it was on the Twitter. It was on the Twitter. Was, was it on that that tweet tweet Twitter dot com or Twitter dot ca? I don't know. Like, okay. Yeah. I. You know. That's a that's a really interesting conversation that always comes up, and it's one that I find really fascinating. I because, agree. You know. I personally, I believe there's going to be room for all of those things as we go, as we move forward, right. right? As developers and as designers, we need to look at what we're trying to implement and what best is going to work for us. You know, if you're somebody who is kick butt at C sharp and you don't understand JavaScript, sure, Silverlight's a great place for you to go and, mm-hmm. and use your skills. If you're somebody who is great at JavaScript and you don't want to go learn something else, keep going for HTML5. If you know ActionScript and and you want to go that way, go that way. Or look at what you're trying to get done with your application, right? There are some cases where HTML5 is perfect. There are some cases where Flash or Silverlight is going to work better for you. 
HTML5. Yeah, that's a, that's a can of worms. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. Well, um, there isn't really a standard version of HTML5, so it makes writing HTML5 very difficult. What, what's the support like in, in IE9? Well, we've got really good support for HTML5, I think. HTML5 is a spec that is, for one, huge. If you haven't actually gone and looked at the W3C HTML5 spec, go look at it. Um, it's So every couple of months, I, I hit Control-P to try and print it. I don't actually print it. And I go to Print Preview. And I look how many pages it is, because I'm kind of, it's always one of those fun things. Last I checked, it was 1124 pages. Holy crap. Summer right? reading. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I read that on my drive up. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I put it on Just as get an a audio Kindle. book. Yeah, yeah get a there Kindle. we go. That's fine. You'll be um, fine. It's a spec that's huge, and, and because it's still working draft, like, there's still a couple more stages it can go, it has to go to before yeah. it's done, right? It's a working draft spec that, is constantly under change. Like literally, you can look at something and the next week it's different. So and it's like every other standard, everybody's fighting to dominate it. Well, I don't think, I actually think we've gotten to a really good state within web standards and within the W3C where folks aren't trying to dominate it. They're trying to really get to a stable position where as browser vendors, we can all agree on the behavior, but also agree on the non-behavior. And when I say that, I'm talking about when you do something wrong, this is what should happen. Mm. And that was something that we didn't do in the HTML4 spec. Mm -hmm. If you had sort of some bad code, we didn't say this is how the browser should behave, mm. which is kind of part of the problem on we ha that we've got today, where things aren't defined to, to a really great level. Yeah, And it means that as browser vendors, we have to pick a value. Well, we pick a value, and I think as all as developers, we all know that you know the person sitting next to you might pick a different default value than you do. That causes some issues. So we're making sure that those ambiguities are just out of the spec. What's the promise of HTML5? The promise of HTML5 really is the same markup. Adding that, being able to create a new sort of era of applications that are much more interactive, much richer, provide sort of standards-based code without having to go rely on add-ons or, or anything else. And yeah, sort of like all of the good things about Silverlight that we love, but for everybody, for Absolutely. all browsers, for all platforms, yep. for everything. You, for you sort of 
bleakly mentioned add-ons, maybe almost negatively, that, that you know, the goal is to stay away from add-ons, but we're still using them. And is there yep. much, much work being done in the IE9 spec as far as uh, add-ons are concerned, or a management of them? I think there's some other browsers that have done a really great job on how they manage add-ons. Yeah, we, did, we actually did a bunch of really important work on add-ons. When, when we looked at how customers, how our users, folks like my mom are, are using the browser, very few of them have a lot of add-ons, but just over 70 to 80% of the crashes that IE has are because of add-ons. Hmm. And add-ons are this sort of complex and, and sometimes useful and sometimes not very useful thing. Some people, you know, they get their computer and it's got a bunch of add-ons installed. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, those add-ons tend to slow people's computers down, whether they realize it or not. And so with IE9, when you install Internet Explorer 9, it comes up and says, hey, do you want to disable your slow add-ons? And it actually will bring up a dialogue when you're ready for it that'll say, hey, these following add-ons are running on your system, and they're causing your browser to run slowly. And it'll actually tell you how long each add-on is adding to your new page or to opening the browser. Hmm. So you can quickly and easily go, uh, I don't need that extra three seconds for the page to load. So is this, uh, this is just gathering data as people are using their browser? It's, mm. it's watching how long it's spending in each add-on? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy this. This is a, a neighbor. I told her to go to a particular website to look at something, and she typed it in, and it was a brand-new site, so it wasn't registering Google, and this is where we realized she actually turned off the address bar and it did typing everything into the Google search engine. <laughs> and so I wow. went over and looked at the machine. She had 12 toolbars. Like yep. just, she had about an inch of actual web page. It's almost <laughs> as embarrassing as the person who types their X-rated Google searches into their Facebook status. Wow. Yeah. Oops. It publishes those ones. Oops. But it's it, this. I mean, I look yeah. at IE9 and you've stripped away so much. Absolutely. We've stripped it down to exactly what customers really want to do so that they can get at their websites that much faster. So I guess what's going to happen to all of these toolbars? Well, so they're still going to work. If you want them there, they'll still be there. You can still get access to that stuff. But you can disable it as well if you're not really using it. Hmm. All right. And turn those things off. Yeah. I Will it automatically remove the JVM for me? I don't think it'll no. do that. No. I, <laughs> Keep working on that, will you? I'll see what right. I can do for you. Nice. Good answer, actually. I guess a big question from a developer's point of view, or maybe from the business owner's perspective, is what, do we, what can we reasonably expect for adoption here? When can I have a significant share of the market actually using HTML or using IE9? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a really important question. And I think as, as site owners, as, as business owners, we can start doing it pretty darn soon, like tomorrow. When you start building web applications, right, looking at, hey, doing feature detection to determine whether you want to start implementing things and implementing it in HTML5 and providing a fallback mechanism. For as long as I've been in the web, um, designers and developers have been talking about sort of graceful degrades, right? So if you come to a, to a website where it doesn't have, you know, if you're using a really old browser or something like that, it's only going to have, you know, you're only going to get some of the experience. Yes, the or, IE6 CSS file. I'm well familiar with one of those. That, that might be one good example, <laughs> right. 
But to provide a graceful, uh, gracefully degraded experience uh, is, is the best way to go about doing it. If you think of the beauty of the web.com site, mm-hmm. we did that in that exact way where if you go to the website using i9, Chrome, whatever, a browser that supports HTML5 and great standards, you're going to get a fantastic HTML5 experience. But if you're not using that, you get a similar experience, but with Flash or Silverlight or something like that. And the beauty of the web case, obviously, Silverlight, but providing it that way, checking to see, hey, is this feature available in the browser that I'm using? And providing the, the experience that way. I'm just thinking about the percentage of work that's there. Like Generally speaking, when I'm flopping between, if you're thinking back in the HTML4 pane, I'm flopping between CSS, this was the biggest issue. Yep. Largely, the structure of the page was stable. That I built one page and rendered it different ways based on the different browsers I was dealing with. I mean, if you're telling me constructed an HTML5 and then also build a Silverlight app, like that's a non-trivial additional piece of work. It is. It certainly is. But you don't have to necessarily just use Silverlight, mm-hmm. right? You could build that same experience and just do the video in Silverlight or video in Flash right. and do the rest of it in just plain HTML4, right? So you might not have beautiful rounded corners on your on your page. You might have this square corners or you might do that in animated or not in animated but as a as a gif or jpeg or something like that Mm -hmm. you you said earlier in the interview that uh uh your one of your goals was to get out of the way of the user to me that sounds like uncluttering you know options and things what kind of uh well what kind of research went into that and what did you end up with well you know the the piece that just floored me the most, and I'll, I'll go back to the comment we had earlier when we were talking about the 42 hours you know, a yeah, month online. Yeah. The 80% of our users only have one tab open at a time ever. Right. right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I often have two or three and sometimes like 10, 12, 15. Well, because users only have one tab open most of the time. That's one of the reasons why we move the tab bar up in line with the address bar. So that way we're taking up less screen real estate. We yeah. looked at, you know, what are the navigations that folks are doing online? And one of those navigations is they use the back button a heck of a lot more than they use the forward button. So you'll notice the back button in i9 is a little bit bigger, right? Because it really sort of goes towards what customers are doing, what our users are doing as mm-hmm. they go. Mm-hmm. They want the back button more than they want the forward button. They want to have, you know, only the couple of tabs. The one box is another great example where we have that one box that provides search, address bar, all of that same set of features just in one place. It's taking up less screen real estate. Type in something that's not a URL. It goes to your search provider. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's very sensible, actually. What if you're searching for a URL? It's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you'd start that with a question mark. Who would search for a URL? Think about that for a second. You just want to go to it. If it goes there, you got it. If it doesn't go there. Probably true. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you're searching for links. That could be it. Searching to see who's linking to your site. Advanced search box, I think. Yes. I'm just trying to start. Well, so the way you do that, actually, is as you start typing, you get the the sort of drop-down list will show up. Right. And it actually shows you your list of search providers that you have at the bottom. So you can just click on that guy, and it'll actually take you to that search provider. You know, um, 
earlier before the show, you gave me this nice little Internet Explorer sticker. Yes. And right here, I'm going to put it on the back of my iPhone. Would Very you nice. <laughs> and, and guys, if you Though, have any questions, just to throw your hand up and I'll run over with the microphone. I, I will sure say this. It is a tattoo. Yeah. It's, it's, oh. It's so it, gonna, it may not work so well as as a sticker on the back. You're gonna have to soak it a little. So yeah. if you dip your iPhone oh, in water, I can do oh, that. You could lick it. Just lick it a I whole could bunch. Lick it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. great, awesome. No, I needed w- something to. Wait a minute. Yeah, no, it's not working on my OtterBox. There you go. Oh, Sorry. I'll have to just put it on my face or something. I think we got a. All right. All right, we got a question. Richard's got a question. Over. Hi, what's your name? I'm Luke Smith. Hey, Luke, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Question for Pete. Pete. Um, I've heard about the uh, the rumors of the death of Flash because of HTML5 coming out. You know, it has some of those capabilities in it. Could you tell us about how um, Silverlight's going to work with Flash? Oh, it's all dead. HTML5. Flash dead. Silverlight dead. WPF dead. dead no, dead, no, dead, no, dead, no, dead, no, dead, no. Dead, dead. I never quite remember the quote, but the, the rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. Like no, I, you know, I don't think we're going to see the, the death of Flash or Silverlight or anything like that. Like I mentioned earlier, they each provide some really great features that aren't necessarily available in the standards, right? One of the things that's being worked on in the W3C is access to hardware. So, for example, your, your webcam or stuff like that. But that's a ways out yet. With Flash or Silverlight, you have access to that stuff today. Those are some, just a couple of examples. Well, and I think hardware acceleration used to be the purview of only these types of tools. And yeah, you, you ruin that. Yep. Yeah. You know, they, that's the, the sort of things that are going on. Yeah. You know, one of the other ones, um, if, for those, uh, those folks who are in the States, if you saw the um, uh, Olympics mm-hmm. online, that was a really major Silverlight investment in terms of they actually built out a whole media experience that allowed you to, depending on where you were in the country, insert um, region-specific commercials into the video. It did some all kinds of crazy streaming video stuff that you just can't do with HTML Basically a PVR. Yeah, exactly. And that stuff is not available through HTML5 video. And I don't in any of the specs that I've looked at is not on the sort of radar of folks. So there are certainly places where all of those things have room to grow and have, you know, use on the web. Well, I got to think if I'm a, a Silverlight guy inside of Microsoft working on the next version of Silverlight, I'm thinking in context of further differentiation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This, in some ways, HTML5 is going to push Silverlight to provide more value. Yep. And I don't know what to say about the Flash guys. You know what? I, I don't think either. I gonna... think it's. I think Flash is going to be here a long time. He can't argue with their market penetration. No. Nope. All right. A good question here. So, so I heard that uh, Windows Phone Seven will be shipping with IE Seven. So, my question is: um, Is the browser in the Windows Phone Seven something that can be upgraded by Microsoft as the browser becomes more stable? So, you're absolutely right in that. Uh, Windows Phone 7 will ship with a version of IE7 with some strategic fixes. So it's not going to be the, the core IE7 that you're used to. It's got a bunch of strategic IE8 fixes. Um, in terms of what they have planned, I'm not really sure. I've been spending much of my time on IE9 lately, so I can't really 
give you a good answer there. But keep an eye out on the, uh, on the Windows Phone team blog and, and places there, and I think you'll see some answers coming soon. And there's no technical reason they couldn't upgrade. I mean, one of the whole points with WinPhone 7, it was, uh, it was upgradable. So presumably this will happen. Joey. Okay. Well, what I can say is that, you know what, the Windows Phone 7 team's been really aggressive about fixing a lot of things. And, yeah, we've been working with uh, preview versions of the Windows Phone 7 OS, and it has been upgraded dramatically over time. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, more upgrades were coming along the line. The phone, yeah, the phone is in the zone. There you go. Joey <laughs> Davila is the DE in Canada who actually has one of the Windows Phone 7s. All right, we got another question here. Hi, um, if I was making a more graphical interactive app in Silverlight or something like that, I would almost never use a canvas control, whereas in HTML5, that seems like that's the standard, is you use the canvas to unleash like, all this power. But that seems like such a low level of programming. What is, what's sort of the vision of the future? Are we going to have tools that allow us to uh, generate some canvas JavaScript, or, or are we just expect to do that manually? I hope so. Um, Writing Canvas today is a bit of a challenge, right? Like, it's, it is a pure, very low-level graphics API. It's like, uh, I used the example this morning. If anybody remembers Logo, you know, the yes. little turtle that you had to, like, make draw and you could make it go do things, that's Canvas. You can do a lot more with it. But at its root, it's really about drawing pixels on the screen. So I, I truly believe we will get better tools in time. I don't think we'll probably have them in the next, you know, month or two, but we will get better tools over time. Well, I guess that's the big challenge now will be to see how the studio team reacts to HTML5. Like, we haven't got it in 2010, but that's fair. It's too new. Uh, absolutely. You know, I think sometimes I, I, I look at our ship cycles and go, why do we have to ship? Because, you know, VS 2010 just shipped. Just and shipped, yeah. Certainly, you can write HTML5 within mm -hmm. Visual Web Developer, but you don't necessarily get some of the other API calls that might necessarily be easier. If you say, hey, file new web page, it's still got the HTML4 doc type. It doesn't mm -hmm. have an HTML. Well, and I think the bigger impact when you talk about ship cycles is IE adoption seems to be closely bound to Windows. So... You know, we just shipped Windows 7 however long ago, you know, and now we've got to, I think, presumably when Windows 8 come out, there'll be IE 9 in it, and that's going to be a bulk of the adoption. You know, I, I think it, it, that's partly true, but we've seen a much faster adoption of IE as we've started shipping more mm -hmm. often. And I think that you're going to see a very quick adoption of IE 9 because of the performance, because of the, the way the graphics work and the better experiences that it offers. So I think you'll be really surprised, or, and I hope to be really surprised, how quick it is. Are we got a couple more questions to get through here. Um, quick question. The previews didn't have support for Windows XP. Will the beta or any future versions have of that? Considering enterprise uh, customers can now sort of extend out Windows XP yep. even further now, which is yeah. prolongs IE6. So, um, unfortunately... Because of the requirements of the Direct2D stuff that we've got in Internet Explorer 9, we're not going to be able to support Windows XP. Um, we're really encouraging and working with enterprises to get themselves off of uh, Windows XP and onto Windows 7 or Windows, uh, at least Vista, if not Windows 7, and you know, definitely onto Windows 7 at this point. XP is 10 years old. 
right? Like, let's we, we're working with these guys to get off of off, off of it. Okay, here we go in the back. Okay, hi. Um, uh, some of the changes that you've done in IE nine are they driven by the um, uh, providing better interfaces for the touch technologies that are coming out? There's another pad coming out in November and things like that. That and IE nine looks perfect for the touch experience. Yeah, so we did a bunch of stuff in Internet Explorer 8 and Windows 7 to provide a better touch experience. There's a, there's a good blog post. You'll have to go back to probably this time last year on the IA blog to read about it. But you can actually put Internet Explorer into a touch mode that makes some of the menus and the, the buttons a little bit bigger so that you've got a better experience. Hmm. So yeah, that stuff is in there. That, those are all things that we're thinking about in terms of building out those browser experiences. Is there a point where we'd actually want to add in parts to HTML or parts to JavaScript that would be touch sensitive in some way? Like Right now, I think we're just saying a click is a click, but you start talking about some of the dragging characteristics or multi-touch effects, mm -hmm. I would actually want to write code around that. Yeah, absolutely. Those, so those are some, some of the things. If you go have a look at the, there's a contest that the a List Apart guys did mm -hmm. called 10K. It was basically this contest where they said, hey, go write a really cool web app in under 10 kil kilobytes of code. Wow. Right? Mm. So 10K Not for much. all your JavaScript, all yeah. your images, like well, everything. There, there goes Ajax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... They wrote this really, or the winner was this really neat game that actually is touch. You can play it touch or you can play it on your mouse, but it's it's kind of like Asteroids where you have to move and dodge the little stars or dots, whatever you want to hmm. call them, as they're running through. So building yeah. that in is cool. Innovative. Yeah. Okay, another question from the back of the room here. When do you expect... Uh IE9 to RTM, and when uh, it does, uh, will it be pushed out through Windows update, automatic updates? Um, I don't know what the plans are for providing updates at this point. I don't think we've quite locked that plan yet. Um, we're not, we're not date-bound on IE9. We want to make sure that we have an opportunity to get the product out into our customers' hands for them to use it, for developers to build on it, and for us to make sure that we've got fantastic implementations of CSS3, of HTML5, and that we're not shipping a buggy browser. So we're going to ship it based on, you know, product quality as opposed to some random date. That is that why you had a great beta test program? Absolutely. Yeah. And this, is a, this beta is fully public. Anybody can have yep. a copy of IE9. Now. Anybody can get it. Here's the other cool thing that I think is really awesome. Those platform previews that we've been doing, we're going to continue them. If you notice today, Platform Preview 5 was released. In about another eight weeks, we're going to release another platform preview. So you'll get all of those bug fixes that we've made to the platform preview. You'll get those in, in platform preview six, and we'll continue that right up until we launch the product. The great thing there is you can install it side by side. Awesome. So I can look at the beta one rendering of it, and I can look at the latest platform preview version of it as well. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Phil's got a question. Hi, Pete. Uh, any new features or support for fonts, uh, dynamic fonts uh, in IE9? Yeah, that, that's actually one of, one of the things I think is super cool. WAF fonts, which is uh, part of the CSS3 spec, allows you to go and take a font, put it up on your web server. You've got to do a little bit of, of wrapping around it. But you can do that wrapping, and then all of a sudden, 
that font's going to work on your website. So it's going to mean that you've got access to any, pretty much any font you want. Are you driving that font down to the client machine effectively? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, if you're really concerned about making sure that you've got small sizes, you can build those fonts so that it only has the characters you need. Right. There's all sorts of cool, crazy stuff you can do with that. Interesting. Yeah. Any other questions for Pete? Yeah. With regards to compatibility of older versions, you talked a bit about it, but what are you doing for, you know, the enterprise clients where, you know, they've got a lot of applications that do, you know, have you done any changes in the compatibility model or at all? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of things in the compatibility model. And again, the, Really, there's a couple of good blog posts on the IE blog, blogs.msdn.com forward slash IE for this. But we still have the same compatibility switch that we had in IE8. So if you've got a website that works in IE7 and you don't want to do anything to make it work in IE9, and you know that it doesn't work because you're using some old standards, or not quite standards code, you can force IE9 into the IE7 rendering mode. You can force i9 into quirks mode just by using that XUA compatible meta tag. We also have made some updates to the um, compatibility view list. So if you remember in i8, we had that big compatibility view list and there were a bunch of sites on it. Well, in i9, it's much more dynamic. It's much easier for us to go and add or remove sites from it, or more accurately, remove sites from it because we try not to add anybody to mm -hmm. it. Um, but making sure that sites work and specifying specific things so that those sites work the right way. And there are, I did a show recently on the run-ass side of the IT side of things, talking about IE, making, taking IE6 apps out of IE6 and talking with Chris Jackson around yep. some of the group policy settings you could make, actually, to bypass what are really security features. Yep. Uh, to make it, to allow pages that run in IE6 to run in uh, later browsers. Are you finding, has there been an effort in the IE9 uh, stack to focus on here are the specific security features you have and there are group policy entries available for those things so if you need to turn them off you can. We haven't done a lot of that concentration yet mm -hmm. but we will start doing that now that we've got the browser out into consumers hands where that we're starting to have those you, conversations. You need to hit against these compatibility problems to really know what you Absolutely. need to do. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Buy that. You know we, we spent the, first, the last what five or six months working with developers super closely. Now we'll start expanding that conversation. And you're going to run, run into more IT type issues. Absolutely. All right. Well, my friend, I think that's a show. I think that's a show. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I'd like to thank uh, Pete. Give him a big hand. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetr.
R-O-C-K-S dot com. Got a van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a